content warning. This week's discussion involves family planning, contraceptives, birth, circumcision, and a short discussion of child death. Please be advised. This week, join us as we discuss family planning, what to ask a midwife, home birth, and birthing plans. So pour a glass of wine, lock the bedroom door, and take a deep breath. Welcome to the 80s Mom Podcast. Hi, I'm Ray. I'm Cecily. And we're two stay-at-home moms. Today, we are going to talk about... (laughs) I know, it's always funny. (laughs) That's our job description. How weird is that? (laughs) Okay. Today, we are going to talk about family planning and planning a home birth. Next week, we will be discussing hospital births with Cecily because I had a home birth. First, we should talk about when we knew we wanted to have kids. So I waffled back and forth for a very, very long time until I met my husband on whether I really wanted kids. But when I settled down, I knew I wanted kids. He wanted kids. It was like something we talked about on our first date to make sure that we were compatible because I was past the point of just goofing around and talking about nonsensical stuff on the first date. Me and him were walking around Washington or Lincoln Park in Springfield, Illinois, talking about whether we were going to have our son circumcised on our first date. (laughs) Wow. That is really serious for a first date. It was. I mean, I was going to say that, you know, do you want to reproduce is like a really important criteria, but. Well, I knew I wanted to. Reproduce. I've never discussed my child's genitals. So <laughs> cool. It was important to me. I'm really against circumcision. I think that any body modification <laughs> can be made when you're an adult and have pain pills available because most of the time. Um, yeah. They they give them sugar water beforehand. They get no real pain medication. If they give them topical numbing agents or inject numbing agents, they often do the procedure before they set in. Like, I've watched babies be circumcised. I've watched videos. And if you want to do that, I definitely recommend watching a video because it doesn't need to be done. And it doesn't sound like fun. No. Why would you want another thing when you have a new baby? Now, if if you want to circumcise, I'm, I might judge you in my head, but I won't judge you out loud. But it's like piercing baby ears. I don't do that either. Xandria's ears aren't pierced. I don't think these are either. Nope, not yet. Not yet, okay. My ears have never been pierced, so I just... That's a topic for another day, but... That's definitely something you should consider and talk to your partner about, the circumcision, before you have kids. Because the doctors are going to be asking you questions right after you give birth. And if you don't know, you're going to end up with a circumcised baby. And then that's a whole other thing you have to take care of. And, of course, there are reasons why at some point you would circumcise or not circumcise. But it's a topic all unto itself. So back to our first date, we talked about whether we wanted kids and if we were going to homeschool. And I was pretty certain at that point I wanted to have a home birth because hospitals 
skeeve me out. They make me very, very, very nervous. And as a person with anxiety, it's just not a good idea to be having an anxiety attack while you're in labor. I don't think I ever thought about it because, I don't know, just never came up. Like how they would be born. I knew I wanted children from, like, I don't know, whenever I can remember. I wasn't sure for a long time because I'm the oldest of five and my mother had children by multiple men and that just wasn't something I wanted for myself because being a single mom, as we've said before, don't know how that works. No idea. Yeah. I knew I didn't want that and I didn't know if I would be working or how all of that would work. I did know at one point, as I've talked about before, I did not believe any woman wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Why would you want to stay home all day? Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, I changed my mind. I mean, I cleaned three rooms today, which is more than I've done most of this <laughs> week because I either have an arthritic flare in my back or I threw my back out, and I don't know which, but it seems to be better now It's for some reason. So at least I can walk Ooh. now. Well, I'm glad that's better. Yeah, I couldn't bend over most of the week. It was in my hip area, which is why I didn't know what exactly I did. So we knew we wanted to have kids. You need to decide if you want children. So into that topic comes how to not have children when you do not want them, or when, especially when you know you do not want them. If you're not married, I don't recommend it, or if you're not with a long-term partner... I say monogamous, but I know people live different lifestyles, and that's up to them. But, like, I always used two forms of birth control. I was always on the pill and used a condom. I never used just one. And if, for some reason, a condom wasn't used or I forgot my pill, I took plan B. So I had plan A, B, and C for not letting that happen. What did you guys I pretty much took the path from, like... The month before we got married. It sucked after a long time. So you were on it for two years? Actually. I, uh, well, let's see. We got married in 06. I, no. I'm sorry. I cannot do math. We got married in 03. We wanted to wait until I was out of grad school. And I graduated in May 06. And... Basically, then I figured, okay, well, I'll quit taking the patch. And, you know, if it happens, whatever. But, you know, it takes couples a while. Yeah, no, I was pregnant the same month. So, I mean, that's that's all the planning I did. Yeah, we planned. We waited till after we were married and I went off of the pill. And I was doing a form of family planning called basal body temperature. It's called BBT. It's where you take your temperature every day before you get out of bed. Because it lets you know oh, when you ovulate. I remember. Sorry. You're fine. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I I just remembered. I I just remembered my mom trying to explain the whole timing thing to me. And taking my temperature and that, you know, you take your temperature and lock it every morning. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was the weirdest thing. And finally, we came to realize that I thought she was talking about taking your temperature down there. <laughs> I didn't realize she meant, you know, just take your temperature. I thought you had to insert the thermometer down there. <laughs> 
and yeah no that was that was not going to happen no. that was just weird I just and i really aim. did not want to talk about that and i really did not want to <laughs> contemplate that i'm sorry but yeah that's that's, that's what i thought and, and so you mentioned the temperature thing <laughs> oh that's probably something that's funnier after the fact i should not be laughing i yes. apologize yes I'm not even oh, drinking. Oh, we week. we had lots of laughing. He giggled a lot about that. Well, no, dear, you don't. <laughs> it was really funny. No, you're not taking it vaginally or rectally. I just use an oral thermometer. But you have yeah. to do it before yeah. you get out of bed. So I had one by the bed, and I was doing it. Yeah. So that I had an idea of what my cycles were before we got pregnant. Because we were having problems. So I had like six months worth. After I went off of the pill. And I took them to my OB. And I said, Dr. Gosser, this looks like I ovulate on my period. And he looked at it and he goes, yeah, it does look weird. So I was supposed to go in <laughs> to have my fertility checked. Because I looked like I was ovulating funny. And, uh. The week before that appointment, I discovered I was pregnant, so I called them and said, um, I don't need that. <laughs> Apparently, we haven't, we don't have a problem, but I do need to plan, our, I do need to schedule our first prenatal appointment now. That's funny. I'll bet they enjoyed that in the office. They, yeah, the secretary got a giggle out of that, and she was the first person to congratulate me yeah. because I called them before I told Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be on top of everything. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Oh, my. This says I'm pregnant. I should call my doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that before I told my husband, which it it wasn't that big of a difference. I can't. I may have waited for him to get home, but I don't think I did. I think I sent him a picture of the pregnancy test, which is what I did last time I took one because we had a scare earlier this year because until yesterday I had an IUD in place. And getting pregnant when you have an IUD is not a good idea. One, you shouldn't be able to anyway. Yeah. But it's not a good idea. So when COVID hit and all the quarantine happened, I missed the period and I didn't realize it for a month that I'd missed it. So we did a pregnancy test and then Jason, understandably, was very, very sad that I wasn't pregnant. So we started family <laughs> planning again because we had discussed having a second and I've been waffling on that as much as I did when I was younger on whether I wanted kids or not. So I've been like, no, 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 yes, 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 no, no, yes. It's been like that ever since Andrea was born. As a matter <laughs> of fact, the first things out of my mouth when she was born is, oh, it's a girl, because as we will discuss later, she was rather wrapped up when she came out. And um, <laughs> the second thing yes. that came out of my mouth was, are you going to be mad if I never want to do this again? <laughs> that is yeah. totally what I said. I would imagine whether or not you want more really strongly depends on how your baby or toddler has been that day. Yeah, pretty much. And your mental sanity for the day to begin with. Yeah. Although now that I'm not working, things around here are evening out. I do have an awake preschooler at the moment, but just doing what I can. Yeah, I have an awake eight-year-old who is trying to find something and I'm typing suggestions to her on my phone and then she types a response and it's kind of amusing. Yeah, like 
I'm recording a podcast right now. I cannot help you find things. I know moms can always find anything, but I cannot do it right now. You have to wait. So for women, there are a number of things you can do to prevent pregnancy. You can do a basal body temperature, natural family planning, which natural family planning is what my OB goes with because both of my, I have two OBs. I have one that I was using for pregnancy and then I have just my regular one because the one I use for pregnancy is 45 minutes away. Mm. But he works with my midwives. And that's good. Yeah. And they're both Catholic. Or in, he's Catholic, and I think my current doctor's not, but she's in a Catholic hospital now. So they both promote natural family planning, which I would recommend you look up. I will make a quick note to put some stuff on that in there. It can be kind of gross to talk about. Uh, yeah, I remember there with... being parts that definitely were unambiguously. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, it has to do with discharge and that kind of thing, which doesn't work for me because I appear to ovulate strangely. Whether I do or not is a different thing, but I appear to. So you have those options, which are non-chemical, and then you can decide, but you can um, have babies anyway. There's a joke Jason said came from his Catholic school. What do you call mm-hmm. a guy whose girlfriend uses natural family planning? Daddy. Yeah. Yeah, because no one does it right. Yeah, you have to do it right, and you have to make sure. And my cycle fluctuates. It's never like 28 days. It just, it's not. I have an app for that. It's called Flow that I really like, F-L-O. I use my calendar. I'm not good enough to use my calendar, and my Flow app, I can, like, track my weight and my water intake and plot symptoms, and it predicts my period so that I have a decently good idea of when it's going to show up. And I think you can use it for natural family planning, but I'm not positive because I don't really do that so much. So there's those, and then you have your birth control pills, and there's a number of those. There's the regular one you take every month, and you stop for a week. There's like seasonal that you take for three months, and you stop for a week. And then there's... I thought the deal with the pill... Sorry. Go ahead, go for it. We keep talking over each other. I thought the deal with the pill was that you took it every single day, but, like, the one week was sugar pills. Yes. Or you can just not take the pills. It. You don't have to take the sugar pills. The sugar pills are just so you don't yeah. forget to take your pills. Which I, So I always skip the sugar pills. I've also been on yeah. season Yeah, it's easier to just take something every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was one reason I went with the patch was because it's really, really, really hard to mess up. I had side effects with the patch. I have also used that. I've used the Nuva Ring, which gave me such bad issues. I can no longer use tampons. Ooh. I had How? like an infection for a very long time after that. So Ew. I don't even use tampons anymore. Not that I'm. I bleed fairly heavily, so using tampons isn't the best idea to begin with. So it's not that big of a deal for me, especially now that they have those really ultra-slim pads, which I think are wonderful. I also, I believe I have a slightly um, posterior cervix, which makes setting a Nuva ring very hard. I'm also relatively small, so those rings were bigger than I was, and they were just constantly falling out or moving, and it was a big issue. 
So I was on it for like a month. I couldn't, I could not maintain it. I would not take a depot shot. I have heard horror stories from my aunt who was an e, who was a um, EEG tech in a hospital where a girl got a depot shot and then was in the hospital in a coma. Hold on. Because of the shot? Yes, from the shot. She went into a permanent state. What happened with the state. shot? It's just dangerous. I mean, all of these have side effects, and you definitely need to research and discuss with your doctors any form of birth control before you use them. Yes. We were discussing that with my doctor yesterday, as I have ovarian cysts. And normally what you would do is they'd put you on birth control for a month, but I'm over 35, and I also vape. And that causes health complications. So the recommendation right now is I don't really need it. So we're not going to use it. So you have those options. You also have IUD options, of which there are two. There's a hormonal IUD, and then there's what I had, which is a non-hormonal IUD, which is I Is that liked. the copper one? That is the copper one, yeah. I don't know. It okay, worked yeah. really well for me. It didn't move. The issues you have with that is it can... Implant is not the right word, but it can get into your uterus like where part of it is embedded Ooh. in your uterus and that can get cause embedded. All, yeah. It can cause all kinds of Ooh. health issues if that happens, but it didn't happen. I had it for two years. It wasn't an issue. She had my OB asked yesterday. Cause obviously she sees hundreds of people a month. She goes, how long have you had it? And I said, two years. She said, just time to take it out. And I'm like, yep. Figured I was coming in for an ultrasound anyway. Might as well have it removed. Cause we're talking about having babies. I don't think I'll be. Yeah. I was never, ever a fan of anything that involved anything going inside well i use pads and things yeah. that go on the outside none of yeah. those sounded attractive to me my problem is i have such problems with hormonal birth controls that it really was the best option next to jason having permanent birth control and it really wasn't that bad having wow. it inserted wasn't like ooh, i would pay to do this for recreation but it wasn't that bad it was uncomfortable, <laughs> but it didn't hurt. And that's saying something because the copper one is actually larger than the uh, hormonal one. But generally, they won't place either unless you've had a vaginal birth already. I'm sure they will, but they don't recommend doing that unless you've had a vaginal birth. Probably because your cervix moves easier <laughs> if you've already uh, you know, okay. inflated it to the size of a bagel. I was going to say, why on earth would that be? I think that's part of the reason why is it's probably harder to that makes insert sense. and there may be higher risk if you haven't yet had children. Like I said, you have to ask your doctor. I'm not sure because I'd already had a baby when we, we were discussing this. I was on hormonal birth control before that. There's also an implant that goes in your arm, but I don't generally let people with scalpels near me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't an option. I do know somebody who, has them in, they stay in for five or ten years. She goes to the doctor, they take it out, they put a new one in. It's not a thing. They're Jason's cousins, which I've talked about before. They're childless on purpose. So they use that so they don't have to worry about anything. And they all have risk factors and a chance of failure. The copper IUD has the smallest chance of failure. It's like 99.7% effective. I think it's something like that. It's insane. And the rest of them are in the 97. That's impressive. Yeah, 97, 98 family planning's like, if you do it right, which like nobody ever does, unless you're actually trying to have babies, Yeah, is like 96. So if you're, 
And I always recommend, if you're not married, using a condom. I made my husband use condoms while I was on birth control before we had kids when we weren't ready. Which probably sounds mean, but if you weren't ready to have kids, we were not having kids, dang it. And that was always my decision. Well, that's the good way to not have them. Yeah, condoms are useful. Please use them, especially if you're not married yet, because they also block STDs, which none of these other things will do. Yes. They will keep you from having babies. They will not keep you from getting STDs. Also, if you're not married. And I don't know how it is people think that they will. But people do. They think that they will. And I I the mean... Catholic Church is known for telling I people don't in think... Africa if they're circumcised, they won't get AIDS. So... Wow, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work that way. Even if it lowers it, it's a microscopic level. And it doesn't... It Yeah. The, the Pope has said that before. I don't know if they still go by that line, but they've said that. Um, not that I have anything against Catholics, because I don't. Most of my family and Jason's family are Catholic, but it's not like individual Catholics have any say over what the pontiff <laughs> says and whether or not those are scientifically based. So you have options. Making sure that you're checked at least once or twice a year for STDs especially if you have multiple partners, is important. I know they won't do a, um IUD if you have more than one partner. Really? Mm-mm. It's dangerous. What's the difference? Uh, well, probably the likelihood of you using a condom. Also, you do have something going straight into your uterus that can be a wonderful passage for bacteria. Yeah. I mean, the copper one, not so much because it's antimicrobial and it kills, like, everything, including sperm. It's like a permanent spermicide. But... I do know that they don't recommend that if you have multiple partners. Mm. I will try to look up some information on that. But I don't think that that's something most women go for anyway, like you said. Stuff on the skin, taking pills, completely different than having a medical procedure done. Yeah. So you guys didn't plan for kids. You just, oops. <laughs> on well, per- on we purpose. kind of assumed we were going to have them, but did not at all expect it to be that ridiculously easy. We didn't either, which I have a story about that. Okay, so my grandma and my mom were the kind of women where if a man put his hat on the foot of their bed, they got pregnant. Every woman in my family is like that. That's why I had to be very careful because I knew that the fact that my mom was pregnant like constantly. She had, she, at one point between my sister Maya and my brother Taino, who were born two years apart, she actually had a tubal pregnancy. So she, yeah, that, that was bad. And she had to have a chemo shot or something and was never able to nurse Maya again. And she was very upset about that because she didn't know that that's what Mm. they were going to do. So like she got pregnant very, very easily. But Jason apparently has extremely low testosterone. Like, it's supposed to be 300, and when he doesn't have his shots, it's like 30. So it's very low. So he had a doctor right after Xandria was born. Doctor said, I don't think you'll be able to have children. And Jason goes, I already have one. He goes, <laughs> And the doctor goes, are you sure? <laughs> wow. To which I would have slapped the doctor, but I'm not Jason. He never yeah. he never saw that doctor again, though. He often refers to yeah, that doctor, whose wow. name I don't know, as a quack. 
because he was going around for a while trying to get testosterone treatment because he knew he had low testosterone, but he also has fatty liver, which may or may not be related Ooh. to the fact that he's overweight, but we don't think so. Um, so it took a long time for him to get testosterone treatment, which he's getting now, which also impacts family planning because if you're on testosterone shots, your body stops producing testosterone, which basically means it stops producing sperm. Oh, I do not recommend it as a form of birth control, but we were talking about it, and I'm like, well, I don't think it's likely unless you, he has to take a pill to get his body to start doing that again while he's on the testosterone shots. I said, well, I don't think it's likely mm-hmm. since you're on the testosterone shots and you're not taking the pill. And he looked at me and he said, well, that one doctor didn't think it was likely that I had my own child either, so... And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and as my aunt said last time I was down, this is my aunt or my dad, he... <laughs> They said it only takes one sperm, and I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, technically true. So, when you're planning for children, my doctor recommends like three months before you decide you want to start that you start on prenatals, because otherwise you're trying to catch up. And uh, my OB told me when I was pregnant, the thing with taking vitamins is it's not for the baby. The baby will take whatever it needs from you. It will just take it. Mm-hmm. So you're taking the prenatals for you. Babies are wonderful. I found that very comforting. Little parasites, as he put it, which I thought was hilarious. They will just take whatever they need, which is also why women have a higher tendency of like osteoporosis being a thing. Because we have lots of babies, and the babies leach the calcium, and if we're not replacing it, then we end up with bone problems yeah. when we're older. So I take a gummy prenatal, which are like the tastiest freaking things I have ever eaten. (laughs) And right now, because I just started going keto, it's the only carbs I'm getting a day. But when I start eating more carbs, I have to calculate the five grams of carbs I'm getting from the gummies. I don't know if you did this, but what we did when we decided we want to have kids is we looked for a doctor. Because you need to really Well, I already had an OB. You did? You already had? I didn't have one. Because I didn't have, like, a stable one until after we were married because I didn't have insurance. Ah. I was using, like, university programs to have students mess with me. Which is fun. (laughs) If you don't have insurance, That does not sound like fun at all. It's not really. Yeah. And you should talk to the doctor about what you want when you're pregnant and for your birth. And you should definitely research these things. Which we're also going to talk about when we talk about finding a midwife. It's a similar procedure for a doctor, but it's slightly different because when you have a midwife, you're having a birth at home, which means you need a lot more information, and a lot of it is different information than you would need if you're having a hospital birth. And I actually found my OB through my midwives. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I asked them if there was anybody they worked with because I wanted a doctor who was going to be on board with home birth and who would clear me for a home birth. Because a lot of OBs are not going to be okay with that because they think you need to be in a hospital. And the thing is, the birthing process is not an emergency medical situation. And if you go into a hospital, they will treat it as an emergency medical situation because that is what they're trained to do. And if that's They're more likely to look for problems. Or cause them by accident. Because if they're like, oh, you're not moving fast enough, they'll put you on Pitocin. And once they do that... 
they'll be like, oh, you're progressing too fast, and they'll put you on something else that I can't think of the name of to try to slow you up, and they'll be like, you're not moving fast enough, and it becomes a cycle. It uh-huh. snowballs, and a lot of women end up having C-sections that were unnecessary because the doctors don't want to stand around and wait for 20 hours because a normal pregnant, a normal pregnancy. Yeah. I wish a normal pregnancy was 20 hours. That'd be nice. A normal labor <laughs> lasts between 24 and 48 hours. Now, not all of that is active labor. Most of that is not active labor. I would think. Yeah. No, I had Xandria. My fluid started leaking at like five in the morning because Jason had gone Jason was getting ready to go to work. And he went to work and he came back. Um, and I had her within 28 hours, which is very, very fast for a first pregnancy. So if you're planning your first one, it's not going to be that fast, most likely. My mom also birthed me in like 20, 24, 28 hours. It was so fast that the nurses were threatening to give my mom a drug test because they were positive she was high on something. Why? Because you're not supposed to have babies that fast. But she, all five of her kids, she had like that. They were all fast. And my, I think my great-grandma may have been on my um, grandpa's side. May have been the same way my grandpa's mom. Huh. My grandma had babies when twilight birth was a thing. So I don't know. And I doubt she would have known. And I never thought to ask her. Yeah, I've read about that. Yeah, no. I think my grandma may have broken a rib every time. On my grandpa, every time she was pregnant, every time she was in labor. Oh. Like she decked him every time. You would think after the first time, you or the second time, because she had three kids, you wouldn't go near her. Yeah. I never did or said anything nasty to my husband and my Aunt Courtney. She's like, why? Every woman knows that's one time you can say everything nasty that's ever been on your mind to your husband, says my aunt. Who's I've never, had never understood that. I didn't have the urge to say anything. As a matter of fact, I was so quiet. My midwives looked at me afterwards and they go, we have birthed Amish and Mennonite women and you were quieter than they are. Wow. Like they didn't think she was crowning because I wasn't compliment. making noises. Yeah. I was just very quiet. I'm not, <laughs> in general, I am not an outward pain noise making person. I may cuss, but birth it wasn't painful it was very very intense and I told my midwife Jennifer I said this hurts and she looked at me and she said I know it's really intense isn't it and that completely changed my mindset and then it wasn't painful anymore I recognized it as intense instead of painful and it was very intense huh I've heard to it referred to yeah my my mom claims it doesn't hurt yeah I've heard to it referred to as like being bombarded by waves of the ocean when there's like a storm and you're just being tossed in the water constantly and you're like coming up for a breath and getting knocked back over. And that's kind of what it was like if I had to try to describe it. Now, most of the time I was zonked out during my birth because your body will, if you're in a dark room and you're comfortable and you feel safe, you're body you'll just go completely inward and you'll just kind of self-hypnotize yourself and you won't really be aware of things between contractions wow so i wasn't aware of things between that kind of sounds like fun Uh, (laughs) don't know that i would 
Yeah, it's it's more comfortable, but she was also born in the water, which is called the midwife's epidural because it helps take the pressure off of your body. Like, you couldn't get me to go out of the water. They got me to go out and go to the bathroom when she was crowning, but they didn't know she was crowning. They just thought sitting on the toilet might help, but I actually got, it was more <laughs> painful. So I went back and I said, I feel like I have a bowling ball between my legs. And they went to do my first um, intravaginal per- check since I got pregnant because I refused to have anybody doing anything in there when I w- while I was pregnant. It was a decision mm-hmm. I made based on research I did that it's not really necessary. Nobody needs to be checking to see how dilated you are or anything like that because you can go from like one center dilated to 10 in an hour. So telling you what your dilation is isn't really helpful and it doesn't mean anything except for doctors who want to be pushy and want you to have the baby faster, which makes no sense since you're not going to have the baby any faster. <laughs> It's going to take exactly as long as it's going to take. Babies are neither early nor late Frodo Baggins. They arrive precisely when they mean to. <laughs> and you cannot stop the baby from coming. When the baby is ready to come, there is nothing you can do to stop it because your body will expel the baby kind of like you expel a sneeze. Which I've also heard it referred to, which yeah. is pretty much what it feels like. It's like, oh. So they, they went to check and they couldn't do an intervaginal exam because she was crowning there there was no (laughs) there was no vaginal passageway to look at there was just a head (laughs) and then like two minutes later there was a baby because when the baby is coming it comes quickly more surprise for them because i'm like no (laughs) this baby is coming now and they were talking to each other and i could hear them and they're like there there's no way this is way too early to which I laugh. <laughs> Welcome to my family. This is how that works. Yeah. Which is why I had the birth the way I wanted to have it at my home. Which means I got to sleep in my bed the next day. And I didn't have to deal with sutures or anything like that. It didn't have any real tearing or anything. So, like I said last time. That's lucky. Yeah. Last time we talked about it, the only complication in my pregnancy was how uncomplicated it was. So, for finding a midwife... Which is what we're going to spend the rest of the episode talking about, which may not be up your alley, but you might want to take some of these and tweak them to ask your doctor about. Because I know not everybody is gung-ho home birth. I have the family who my dad acted like I was going to be in a voodoo circle covered in goat blood. (laughs) And he said, don't let anybody drop the baby. And I'm like... These are medical professionals. I had two certified midwives. The only thing they could not do was a C-section. But they have this thing called a phone. That's probably a good thing. Yeah. They have this thing called a phone. And they could call an ambulance. And unlike in (laughs) TVs, on your TV shows, birth is not fast. I mean, fast is still 28 hours. So it's not fast. And if something's wrong, you're going to know. And you will have plenty of time to get to the hospital. And you're a nice, normal mom, not a free birther. No. I can sit... I I was like, if I was going to have a baby during COVID, I probably would have an unassisted home birth. But that would mostly be because I don't know how easy it is to get a midwife right now. Well, and because you have an excellent history of really easy, uncomplicated births. Yes. For which I am very lucky. I have you for a friend, so I know exactly how lucky I am. 
<laughs> you have the opposite. I know. That's what's great like, about this podcast. Literally. Yeah. We have, we cover the entire spectrum of knowledge. Like, I had a home birth. You had high-risk scheduled C-sections. So yeah, I guess not exactly scheduled. Well, I mean, like, within hours, but yeah. yeah. But not, like, emergency. Within hours, I wouldn't consider, like, oh, they're rolling me in right now. Yeah. So, I broke these up into sections. The questions to ask your midwife. I have general questions. I have cost of care questions, which is important. Questions dealing with pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and hospital transfers. Because those are things that do happen. And since Cecily didn't have any home births, she is going to be your eyes and ears on this. And if she has questions, she's going to ask me about them. And I can elaborate on a good number of these things. Because I... Aye, aye, Captain. Yes. (laughs) Because I have experience and I have actually asked midwives these questions because I interviewed my midwives before we had babies, which is important. If you're going to do this, you don't want to go in two months pregnant and then suddenly, you know, I only have eight, I only have seven months left and I need to know these things now. And then you're stressed. So I already know who I'm going to go to. Hopefully next time we have babies, because I really like my midwives. They cleaned up the house. You couldn't even tell by two hours after the birth. You couldn't tell we had a birth. As a matter of fact, I took a um, farm delivery at our house. We had a CSA. And I took the box after I had the baby. And he goes, how are you guys doing today? I said, oh, we're good. Just had a baby. He goes, you did what? And I said, yeah, she's born at <laughs> It was like 10 o'clock. Couldn't even tell. No idea that there, a birth had even happened in my house. They did the dishes. They did the laundry. They did all the cleanup of the birthing pool and everything. It was amazing. That is the perfect thing. It's that is the perfect midwife to have. You don't want them leaving you with stuff to clean up. And most midwives and doulas and postpartum doulas, I know that's what they do. So I think it's kind of normal. So general questions you should ask your midwife. How long have you worked as a midwife? It's a good thing to know. They yeah, should, that's really important. They should have at least been following a midwife for some time before they went on their own. You definitely don't want to be a midwife's first ever birth when they're by themselves yeah you also want to ask about their training are they a certified nurse midwife are they a certified midwife are they a certified practicing midwife there's a lot of different trainings that they can go through and it can affect their philosophy so the next question is what and what does that mean for your your philosophy of home birth because you want to know what they think about home birth Because some people are certified nurse midwives, and if everything isn't picture perfect, they will send you to a hospital, which isn't necessarily what you want. It wasn't what I wanted, so I had a certified nurse midwife, and she wasn't like that at all. But I had her, and then I had a midwife who was also a herbalist, and they were both wonderful. They both had different knowledge sets. They worked together, and it was amazing. And then... You want to ask what their birth philosophy is, which is basically the same thing as their philosophy on home birth. I like to know what inspired them to be a midwife, because I want to know my midwife. I want to know them as a person. Now, are they my friend? Probably not. But you're going to be dealing with this person for nine months. You want to make sure that you're on the same 
level. Well, yeah, yeah. You want to ask them, how do you see their role in your birth? Because at the end of the day, when you're pregnant and you're giving birth to a baby, nobody in that room can really help you. (laughs) They can make sure things don't go wrong, Hmm. but they... There's nothing they can really do to make the process start or stop. And that's a thing with home birth. It's also a thing with natural births in the hospital. If you're not on any of the medication that they, like, want to put you on, they cannot stop your birth. If you get an epidural, yeah, then you're not going to have the urge to push, which means they basically did stop your birth until they tell you, which I'm not really okay with. I also had a friend who had a baby, and because her epidural was misplaced, was paralyzed for six months. Ooh. That was scary. Like, before yeah, that, I that knew would be. that could happen, which is why I'm not a fan of epidurals. My mom had natural births for her first three and had epidurals with her last two. But it's not something I would want to do unless I absolutely had to. And I'd also ask, if they have children, what were their birth experiences like? What would they change? What did they wish happened? Did they get what they wanted? And if they didn't, why didn't they? I personally like a midwife who has had at least one home birth because then they know like what that you're makes sense. going through. You don't want a midwife who's had like scheduled C-sections for every child necessarily. Now you might, but you might not. I wouldn't because then they don't know what I'm going through, what I'm thinking, what my mindset is. Learning it in a book is different than experiencing it at least as my opinion. Yeah. All of the anything other than these questions are my opinion. These are questions that I've curated for you and I will have links for you for the articles I got them from. Some of them I have added. I added into my midwife stuff. I wanted to know what their favorite part of being a midwife was because I like to know. And I asked my midwives what their least favorite part of being a midwife was. And they actually told me their least favorite part is people who don't have clean houses when they come over. Like, not, like, Martha Stewart clean, but stuff everywhere was kind of their thing. So we made sure to clean the house. Yeah. We made sure to clean the house before they came over. Declutter and clean before they came over. Because I'm like, well, that's good to know. Because that's something I can do to make it... To make the experience better for you. Because they're going to be there for... I think my midwives were there for eight hours. So you're going to have somebody in your house for quite a while. And you want them to be as comfortable as you are. And this repeats a question from earlier. How many home births have you performed? But it's slightly different. Because it's how many have they actually done. Not how many were they attending. Uh, yeah. And how many births do you attend each month? Which can be important based on your due date. Because if you have two midwives and two births going simultaneously, the midwives will split and then it's not a problem. But if you have one midwife and two births going simultaneously, which is a question. That can't be good. Well, it's a question later on in the list. Yeah. And assuming there is more than one person in the midwife practice, do you work alone or as a team when somebody is in labor? Normally, in my experience, they will work as a team as long as there's only one labor going on. If there's multiple labors, obviously they have to split, but generally they will work as a team. How many women are under the care of one midwife at a time? And how do their due dates compare to mine? Normally a midwife will not have two patients who are due at the same time. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. 
what are my chances of needing an inter uh, what are my chances of needing interventions during labor such as an epidural pitocin or a c-section that can be important for you to know like what the quality of their midwifery is how many interventions somebody's going to need which also tells you how many people go into a hospital yeah have you ever lost a baby or a mother and if so under what circumstances I actually asked my midwives this, and if you don't think your midwife is being honest, you need to try to get an honest answer out of them. My midwives were very upfront oh, yeah. and honest. They had lost a baby. And my follow-up question, the baby had a nuchal cord, which we're going to talk about, but it was a pinched-off nuchal cord, and, had also, and the baby also had an infection. So when they told me Ooh. this, I asked them, I said, if this baby had been born in a hospital, do you think anything could have been done to save this baby? And they said, no, they didn't think anything could have been done. And the mother liked them so much. She actually had them attend her next birth, which was fine. That's a good sign. Yeah. But they were honest. They said, yes, we have in fact lost a baby and it was yeah. devastating. And I asked what happened and they told me, obviously, cause I can tell you. <laughs> But I think being honest about it is important. If they're like, no, everything has been fine, and you don't think that's true, you can always change the question to, what is the worst scenario you have had in your practice? What is the worst thing you have had happen? And if you still don't, if you think they're waffling or not being honest with you, I would cut the interview there. Obviously, they're not being honest with you. If they're not being honest with you now, are they going to be honest with you when you're in labor? Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. So I actually had somebody, when I posted this on one of my um, Facebook pages I run, tell me that they wouldn't accept somebody if they, if they were a midwife, if somebody asked them that question, because you wouldn't ask your friend that kind of question. And I'm like, midwives are not what? my friend. I am hiring <laughs> them. Yeah. And if they don't want to answer that wow. question, that's fine. I will find another midwife because midwives are legal in the state of Missouri where I live. And I have options. I don't have a lot of options, but I do have options. And I would pick somebody else. Yeah. Another question is, are you trained in infant resuscitation? I can't imagine. I, I can both not imagine not asking that. And I can imagine thinking that you wouldn't have to ask. You're just taking it for granted that anyone delivering babies, obviously should know like infant cpr and stuff yeah but i would yeah in the case of interviewing somebody i would never assume i would probably yeah. if i was going to have a hospital birth ask my doctor that that's the kind of person i am though i want to know the knowledge that you know something i don't know is important to me like i know how to give the baby heimlich i do not know how to do resuscitation I've actually had to perform baby Heimlich. It is not fun, but I do know how to do it. What do you do in the case of a nuchal cord? What is a nuchal cord? Because a I had never heard it called that. Yeah, A nuchal cord is when a uh, baby's cord is wrapped around their neck. Now, as long as it's not pinched ah. off, it's completely normal. As we all know, babies breathe through their umbilical cords. So having it wrapped around the neck is not necessarily... A medical emergency for example 
My dad made the smart-out comment to not let anybody drop the baby. Zandria was apparently listening to that because the cord was not only wrapped around her neck, it was also wrapped around her arm and her <laughs> leg, and you could not have dropped this child if you wanted to. It she was... made sure of that. Yeah, she made, she made, and she was She had fine. a climbing harness. Yes. <laughs> She's climbed back up in there. Please not. No. Yes. <laughs> she made herself a climbing harness just in case. And nuchal cords are something you should research because the more research you do, the more confident you will be and you will see that nuchal cords are actually fairly common. Xandria's umbilical cord is very, very long. Normal, <laughs> like, a normal size. It wasn't, like, super long, but it was long. Most babies are not going to be able to wrap themselves up like a ribbon dancer in the Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> but Xandria did. Um... I wish someone had taken a picture of that. I would. That was one of my things in my birth plan. I did not allow any pictures or videos to be taken, which I kind of sort of regret, but I mostly don't because I don't want pictures of me going through that. Well, yeah. Yeah. That would. Yeah. It was a very personal thing to me. I did not want pictures. Pictures were taken after she was dried off, after I was out of the birthing pool. And moms have, like, labor photographers come in and take pictures during their labor. And that's fine. It's just not my thing. I don't want to pay somebody. I don't want to have strangers in the house. There were three people in the house. And as far as I was concerned, that was three people too many. And that was two midwives and my (laughs) husband. There was nobody else in the house. I'm the kind of person. That's also why I didn't want a hospital birth. Because you have doctors and nurses coming in and out constantly. And I didn't want anybody near me. When I'm in pain, I want to be left alone. I don't want people near me. And I know that about myself. So I planned our birth so that there would be no extraneous people. And Jason was more concerned about me. Poor guy had the biggest hangdog expression on his face throughout, like, most of the labor. Like, what did I do? Because he's there, but there's nothing he can do. Well, yeah. His portion of the birth and pregnancy ended nine months before. I know. I was very much, don't touch me. (laughs) My midwife tried to give me back (laughs) massage because my back hurt. And I let her do that. And then she stopped because she got the feeling from me that I was just not digging it. And I told her afterwards, I'm like, thank you for stopping because I wasn't really in a place to want to tell you to. But I didn't really want to be touched. But I thought it might help. And some women like that. And it just wasn't something I liked. I didn't know before she was born or not. Whether I would want a birthing pool. So we had one in case I wanted it. And it turned out I wanted it very, very badly. Another general question. Do you recommend working with a doula? If you do, do you have one that you recommend? I'm lucky. I have a friend who is a doula. So. Yeah. So since you appear to be asking. A doula is somebody who intervenes for you while you're in labor with your midwives or your doctor. They know your birth plan. They know what you want. And they are your voice when you can't have one. So if you don't want a certain medical procedure done and you're in a hospital, which is usually when a doula is more important, they can be your advocate. Because when you're in labor, it's really hard to advocate for yourself. Which is also why it's important to have a birthing plan on file with your midwife and your doctor and the hospital. 
Now, the hospital may or may not pay any attention to your birth plan, and that's why you want a doula. Do you have an OBGYN you work with and recommend for tandem care? So I had, like I said, I had tandem care. I was seeing an OB and a midwife at the same time up until the point where I had a visit every two weeks because one week I would see Dr. Gosser, the next week I would see the midwives, then I would see Dr. Gosser, and it became a lot. So when we got to one-week visits, I dropped my OB and I was just seeing my midwives. Now, early on in my care, like they measure your stomach to tell how the baby's progressing, and I would not allow ultrasounds. I allowed them three. I really only wanted to allow them two, but they wanted pictures of the heart they were missing. So I allowed them three, and apparently they said they didn't get them again, and I said, too bad, so sad. Wow. I am allowing. You have had as many ultrasounds as I'm confident in giving you. And they go, well, we can't measure the baby's growth without an ultrasound. I said, well, my midwives can because they know how. And also, an ultrasound is not going to tell you anything. They could tell you you're having a 10-pound baby. You can give birth to a 6-pound baby. The longer your gestation period lasts, the less accurate an ultrasound is going to be. I mean, that's just how they work. It's not an exact science because they can kind of see, but they can't really see, if that makes sense. Again, do your own research. I have done a lot of research, but please, God... Do not rely on my brain for your birth. (laughs) Please do your own research. I did research for well over a year before we had a baby. I mean, I researched everything. Wow. Except for potty training. What is your philosophy on weight gain, nutrition, prenatal supplements, and exercise during pregnancy? This isn't a question I would necessarily ask because I know how I want to do things, but it's something you might want to ask. What factors would risk me out of your practice, which is important. You want to know what would cause them to drop you before they drop you. Yes. And are you willing to help me prevent or overcome them? There are certain things like my midwives will not handle a pregnancy with gestational diabetes. If you have gestational diabetes, they will not Mm -hmm. clear you to have the baby at home. Do you have hospital privileges at which hospitals can be important if you're transferring mm-hmm. or if you want to have a midwife birth in a hospital i suppose like i said i had a home birth i didn't have one in a hospital do you provide nutritional support during pregnancy and labor well, what now, does that mean can they help you with if you need to gain weight if you need to lose weight um supplementation for vitamins give you ideas of like oh like the dietitian stuff yeah It's not something Ah, I really got. I got a lot of herbalist help because while I was pregnant, I had two colds. And when you're pregnant, you can't take anything. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff you can't take. No ibuprofen. You can't really have Tylenol. I guess you can have Tylenol. Tylenol doesn't do anything for me, so I'm not positive. I I think Tylenol is the one you can have. Yeah. Tylenol does nothing for me. So they had me on like garlic. Yeah, if they had told me no Tylenol, it would not have been a problem. Yeah. I didn't take any. They allowed me, when I had a cold at one point during my pregnancy, they allowed me a DayQuil. And early on in my pregnancy, I had migraines. And at that point, my doctor allowed me to have an ibuprofen. One of the first things I asked for after I had Xandria, it was like the day later, I asked for two ibuprofen and a Coca-Cola because I hadn't been able to have either for nine months. (laughs) I was like, give me that sweet, sweet relief. 
I wasn't, like, I had a headache, I think. I wasn't miserable, but I'm like, I can have these things now. Please give them to me. Yes. So you want to know. I want all of my normal stuff. Yes, please give me my normal stuff now. What is your experience with herbs, homeopathy, and alternative medicine as pregnancy and labor support, which also may not apply to you? I asked these questions. I wanted to know because I had an herbalist available to me who was really helpful at, they told me garlic pills, cayenne pepper pills. They had me on a bunch of other stuff. I remember those because they gave me the best, like, I just ate pasta burps you ever had while I was on a cold. (laughs) Or rather, while I had a cold. Do you have references? If you're interviewing somebody, ask for references. If they're willing, I, I don't call references, but if they're willing to give them to me, that says something. Yeah. Which is basically the same thing when you apply for a job, which basically they're doing. Yes. You're looking to hire them. Yeah. Most jobs don't, most jobs don't call your references, but the fact that you have them is always a good thing. Cost of care. Our birth cost $3,500 compared to what in a hospital for a normal birth would have been at least 35,000. Wow. So you want to know. What is the total cost of care, which they told us was $3,500? What's included? How much is due and when? So every appointment we had, we owed them $100. And that $100 applied to the $3,500. Now, we paid them completely out of pocket. And they ended up reimbursing us the complete amount because our insurance paid them. After telling us they would not pay them. That's a nice surprise. It was a very nice surprise. It's the reason we have the Elantra paid off, because we took that money and paid off the Elantra. Is any portion of the cost refundable if care is transferred to an OB at any point prior to the birth? For us, it wasn't. But some midwives may. If they risk you out, they may refund at least part of what you have paid so far. That would be nice, considering now you're giving money to another person. Yeah. I mean, our insurance paid both of them and had no issue. But I called them beforehand and I said, I'm going to have an OB over my pregnancy, but I'm also planning on having a midwife. If I have tandem care, will you pay for both? And they said, we won't pay for a home birth, but then they ended up doing it. So I don't know. Midwife magic. Have you had any of your clients be successful at recovering all or portions of your charges through their health insurance plans? And can you help me? Do you... For example, the next question, apparently. Do you work with a service to help clients with insurance claims? Our midwives didn't work with a service, but they helped us get all of the necessary paperwork filed. That's good. Do you maintain client medical records electronically or written? And that is cost of care. Pregnancy questions. Pregnancy. Do you offer or suggest taking a childbirth preparation course? Do you have any childbirth or pregnancy books that you recommend? I actually recommend Dr. Sears' pregnancy book, which is the one I read. I think I have his big book of babies somewhere. I have that one too somewhere. I also have their pregnancy book. Or they they may cover pregnancy in that book. I misremember. How will my care differ if I'm having tandem prenatal care with you and an OBGYN? I found that it doesn't really differ much. But I was very, very firm in what I would and wouldn't have done. 
do you provide and or require pregnancy screenings? First and second trimester genetic screenings, gestational diabetes, group B strep, and whatever else is required. Mine did gestational diabetes, and I think they may have done my group B strep. I don't remember who did my group B strep. But my OB covered all the other things, which is why it's nice to have an OB because then you know your insurance will cover those tests. I chose my midwives for gestational diabetes because I'm not going to eat 15 jelly beans and over sugar my system to prove that my system won't go into diabetic shock when you do that. They allowed me to just eat Eat 15 jelly beans. Yeah, or you can drink the sugar shit. Yeah, I was going to say... No one said there was an alternative to the really nasty drink. (laughs) Everyone just talks about the really nasty drink. (laughs) My OB offered jelly beans as a replacement for really nasty. But my midwives allowed me to eat dinner, go there an hour later, have my finger pricked, and test it that way. Ah. Which I prefer. Because in general, especially now that I'm keto, if you give my system a whole lot of sugar, it's not going to know what to do with it. But that's not because I'm diabetic. That's because I don't ingest sugar. Yeah. I mean, if you're on a normal standard American diet, which is also called a SAD diet, then you'll either process sugar or you won't because you're eating so much of it. But if you're paleo or you're keto or you do not eat sugar or sugar replacements in general... Like a no sugar, no grain diet. Having somebody give you a metric shit ton of sugar is not going to prove whether you're diabetic or not. It's just going to prove that you don't eat a lot of sugar. Yeah. Because it is a lot of sugar. It's not like, oh, drink a soda and then we'll see if you're diabetic. It's like, drink a gallon of soda and we'll see if you're diabetic. Yeah. Do you routinely check glucose and protein levels via urine samples at visits. That's normal for an OB. It was also normal for my midwives to do. I don't know if they checked my glucose levels. I do know they checked my protein levels because they're always checking if you have a UTI. Yes. Or if your kidneys are having problems. Yeah. The only way I know to check glucose via urine samples is by drinking urine. I'm guessing there's another way to do it, but that's where diabetes came from my heavens my understanding yes i i would hope my understanding is the root original root of the word diabetic comes from sweet urine i could be wrong yeah i thought there was a smell to it you could smell the sugar you might be able to if your urine has a fruity smell you might be able to i'm not sure i know very very little and i could be completely wrong i just don't know how you would check glucose levels via urine samples if you do email us i would be interested in knowing do you typically and i didn't know it was possible yeah i didn't know that either but i saw this question i was like huh do you typically do vaginal checks during prenatal appointments mine didn't but i also requested there be none so do they i don't know i don't think so but i don't know under what circumstances would prenatal care be need to be transferred to an ob what will happen if I is go past- that kind of the same as what would risk you out or yeah are those okay the same but maybe different I have no problem with interviewing somebody with questions that are slightly worded differently goodness knows every job I've interviewed for does that too yeah like tell me about career aptitude tests always do that yeah 
I hate those things. What will happen if I go past my estimated due date? How long can I be past my due date and still birth under your care? I think for my midwives, it was 42 weeks. I had Xandria. I think that's kind of standard. Yeah. But here's the thing, too. A first pregnancy is more likely to go past the due date because your body's never done this before. A later pregnancy is more likely to (laughs) happen earlier because your body has done this before. So it's like 42. And knows what to do. Yes. And it knows what to do. It knows how to do this. It has, in fact, done this before. So I think for them, it was (laughs) um, 42 or 43 weeks before they were no longer comfortable. Now, there are certain risks associated with the later you go. Yeah. Which is why you ask. What testing do you perform on babies who go past the estimated due date and starting at how many weeks? Now I had Xandria at 39 weeks, or, yeah, 39 weeks, three days, so I have no idea. I also don't have the answers, because they asked me questions and I wrote down answers, but I don't know where that piece of paper is right now. I am positive I still have it. I would would think that since since one of the main concerns after due date is that the placenta will slowly quit working, I would think that you would be doing ultrasounds to watch the blood flow make sure that there's enough blood going back and forth through the umbilical cord. But I I don't know what else. I don't know. I didn't allow ultrasounds after a certain point. I wouldn't have allowed them at all, but he, when they did the first one when I was first pregnant, so I would, she was just a zygote, they thought she may be implanted on my cervix, which is not a good thing. So they had to do the second one. So when they did the second one, they missed the pictures of the heart they wanted. And when they didn't get them the third time, I was just like, too bad, so sad. Because it wasn't going to affect anything. Because I asked. I'm a kind of person. I'll ask all kinds of questions of my doctors. Birth. And there's a reason I separated these out. When um, In the articles I'm going to share, they were all kind of mixed together. But you want to know what the progression looks like, especially if you write these down. You write down the answers. So that you can refer to them later. Do you have a birth kit for purchase? And if not, will you work with me for assembling one? So when babies are born, you need gloves and gauze and 50 million other things. And there are places you can just buy them. But you want the ones that your midwives recommend because they will recommend them for reasons. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. If you are unable to attend my birth for any reason, who will attend in your place? What happens in the case where two clients are laboring simultaneously? Do you have any preferences regarding how many people attend a birth? Now, I would think that you would definitely have a preference for how many people are in your house while you're attending. Well, not while you're attending a birth, (laughs) while you are birthing. Like, I certainly did. I was like, the less amount of people, the better. Will I be able to eat and drink during labor? It is important to at least have the ability to do so because you are doing a physically exerting task and having energy is important. That makes sense. Now, I only drink water, but I am very adverse to puking. And when you go into transitional labor, which you didn't, um, is very common for your body to evacuate out both ends right before you go into active labor because your body goes, I don't have time for this shit, quite literally. And just pushes everything out. Yep. And Gosh, that does not sound like fun at all. It wasn't horrendous, but I am not (laughs) fond. 
I was not fond of it, but I knew it was going to happen. So I also knew it was normal and I was not worried about it. Yeah. At what point in my labor will you come to my home and when should I call you? So this is important because you need to know when to call them. Now, I since my water didn't break per se, it broke the in the evening, but in the morning I was leaking and I couldn't figure out what was going on. So my midwife's got to call at 5 a.m., but this is what you have them for. Yeah. And they came to my house later I think in the apart day. from water breaking, I wouldn't really know any objective sign to call them or not. Yeah, and that's why you have to ask. Sometimes your water doesn't break until you're in active labor. My yeah. grandpa was born <laughs> inside his placenta, which is a thing. It does happen. It's called... Um, oh, that is so cool. Yeah. And it's, it's a thing that happens, so sometimes your water doesn't break at all. So at that point, if your water doesn't break, when do you call them? So they came to my house while my water was leaking, and we discussed the fact that if my water didn't break within 24 hours, things would have to be done to encourage my water to break because it can be a um, bacterial hazard if you're not in active labor after a certain amount of time. Yeah. It didn't end up being a problem. Because my water broke while it was snowing and I was standing on my back doorstep getting ready to walk in the house. <laughs> well, that was good timing. At least I wasn't in Home Depot because walking when you're in labor is important. The more you walk, the better it is. She was born in February, so we went to Home Depot and Lowe's to buy things. So I was walking. As a matter of fact, the only person who actually knew I was pregnant, who didn't know me while I was in public, was while I was in labor. Huh. I'm just like, yep, I'm in labor. What are you doing here? Walking. Need to walk. What equipment do you bring during birth? And the following questions. Do you carry oxygen? Mine did. Do you carry Pitocin in the rare case of hemorrhaging after birthing? They did. What tools do you use to monitor the baby during labor and after the birth? Mine used, they may have been using, it's like a stethoscope, but it has a different term that I'm not thinking of. Might be a needle needle scope. It looks like a stethoscope. Doppler? Yep, they had a Doppler. I do not believe they were using the Doppler while I was in labor, though. But I told you I was in and out, so they might have been. They had to check me every 30 minutes to make sure she was fine. But they left me alone in between. And it was annoying, but they were only messing with me every 30 minutes. And they were just checking. And it took 30 seconds. (laughs) And then they had stethoscopes, and they could weigh her, and they did everything they needed to do. Do you facilitate water births? And do you supply the birthing pool? If not, do you have one you recommend? You can often rent a birthing pool. Or buy one cheaply on Facebook Marketplace from somebody who has had their water birth and no longer needs it. Just make sure it's clean. Or that you clean it. Yeah, that is both something that I wouldn't think you would use again. And something that I would not think of as buying used. So, cool. We looked into it. We used theirs. So they left theirs with us um, when we were 38 weeks, I think. 38 or 39 weeks. It was in the house before I went into labor. I do remember that much. Jason had it blown up for them when they got there. And they had all the hoses and stuff to fill it. I have no idea how they emptied it. I don't remember. (laughs) I was busy with a baby. (laughs) Yes. When that happened. You had a baby to play with. Yes, or I could have been asleep. Either or entirely possible. I don't remember. What level of perineum tearing if any do you suture do you transfer to the hospital for any particular levels of tearing 
Mine would have sutured, but they didn't need to. You don't necessarily want to do an episiotomy, which it talks about next. Under what circumstances, if any, do you perform episiotomies? Which is where they notice you're going to tear and they cut you. You don't necessarily want to have that done because you're going to, if you if you tear, you are going to tear at your weakest point, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But if they cut you, they could cut you somewhere that is stronger and that can lead to problems. Again, research. Do research. Wow. So I know you didn't have a piece, you didn't need a pisteotomies, you had C-section. Yeah, that's one of those things that, that I would read about in stories of normal births and go, yeah, no. I had very shallow tearing and it wasn't even an issue, like at all. How much time do you allow for delivery of the placenta? When do you cut the cord? And will you abide by my wishes for when I want the cord cut, if at all? Some people do not have the cords cut. They leave the baby attached to the cord and they put the placenta in the cord like in a salt solution until it falls off the baby naturally. It's not my thing, but there are people who do it and I looked into it, but I decided it wasn't really my thing. We did wait until the placenta until the umbilical cord stopped pulsing and was completely flaccid. We waited an hour because I didn't birth the placenta. My placenta was, I think they call it torgid. I can't remember. It got stuck. And they told me I could just (laughs) pull on the umbilical cord and it would come out, but I couldn't figure out how hard I could pull on it without ripping the umbilical cord and leaving (laughs) the placenta stuck in my body. So my midwife came over. And then you need surgery. (laughs) Yeah, then he needed an unplanned DNC. Oh, so my midwife, I told her, I said, I just, I can't seem to do it, and I don't know how hard to pull. So she just came, went tug, and there it was. (laughs) Somebody had far more experience at that than I did. Yeah, that's why you have them. Yeah, because I didn't have, like, an urge to push or anything. Because they told me I would, and I just didn't. It was just sitting in my pelvis waiting to be pulled out. Lazy placenta. (laughs) I did my job. Somebody else get me out of here. Yeah. So I'm done. Just sitting here. How does that work with a C-section? Do they just pull it out after they pull out the baby? I have no idea. (laughs) You don't remember. I I assume so. I have no clue. That's okay. I don't know either. (laughs) Are you comfortable if I choose to decline the vitamin K shot, the heel poke, which is a PKU blood test? The eye ointment vaccinations and or bathing the baby while you're un- while I am under your care. So we refused vaccinations. I be- we refused eye ointment. I had to think about it for a second. We did not bathe our baby, but we did do the vitamin K and the heel poke. But that was not on the day she was born. We did that two days later, I believe. We may have done the PKU test the day the day she was born. I don't remember. I think we did it two days later. Because leaving the baby alone as much as possible during the first 24 hours is kind of important. Because if you give them shots or poke at them or anything like that, it can affect with breastfeeding. So you really want everybody to be cool and calm and the baby to be cool and calm. How long will you and or your support team stay with the mom and baby after the birth? So our midwife stayed for an hour or two. And like I said, they cleaned up and went they left they were gone they were supposed to come back the next day but they ended up having another birth which is why her vitamin k and stuff were two days later it was technically her 24-hour visit 
but it happened 48 hours later because they had another birth they had to attend, which is what happens when you have midwives. Sometimes they have more than one birth. Yes. Babies have their own ideas. Yep. What is your role after I have successfully had my baby? Which also leads into postpartum care. How will my baby and I be cared for during the postpartum period? Some midwives, mine included, do some postpartum checks. I think I had my midwives for two or Ah. three weeks after she was born. We had some breastfeeding problems. And as one of my midwives was an internationally certified lactation consultant in IBCLC. She came to help with the problems we were having. And when she wasn't able to help, she recommended somebody who we went to and we didn't need any kind of super care or anything. It was a positioning problem, which we were able to take care of. Yeah. It took her a month to regain her birth weight, but she was fine. Some weight loss is normal and she never had abnormal weight loss. She just wasn't taking enough. How many postpartum visits are offered under your care and on what days do these visits occur? And is breastfeeding support offered? And then you have hospital transfers. What is your hospital transfer rate? And will you stay with me if I have to transfer? My midwives, if I had to transfer to a hospital, would become doulas and would become my advocates when I transferred. That's nice. And their highest transfer rate had to do with first-time moms being exhausted. I bet that happens a lot. It was like 10%, if I remember correctly. So you want that number like as low as possible, reasonably, which is why you have the next question. What is the most common reason for hospital transfers? If they're constantly transferring for C-sections and epidurals, you want to know why. You also want to know why those women are Um, Because if it's going to happen, 10% I consider to be fine. And when most of them are because first-time moms and they're just tired and they can't they can't or don't want to do it anymore that's different than we had an emergency and we had an emergency and we had an emergency and we had an emergency yeah if i must have a preterm or post-term hospital birth will you be present to offer support so those are all the questions i ask my midwives and then i talk to one of my doula friends because i have a number of them and i have my birth plan would you like to hear what my birth plan was sure so It has um, different sections. The first one is before labor. Now, all this says Mrs. Barden, but I'm going to use my first name because it's really weird to read your proper name constantly. Ray Ray would like a sonogram performed during certain periods decided upon by her and her care provider throughout her pregnancy to ensure her and her baby are healthy. Ray wants to have screening tests for Down syndrome performed on her baby during appropriate gestational periods. She would also like her care provider to discuss options with her should the test results indicate a possibility of Down syndrome. Ray wants her birth team to consist of no more than her husband, her doula, and her midwives. If complications arise, she is aware that more medical staff will be needed, but she does not want that to prevent the original birth team from being present. So during labor, a water bath, I'm sorry, a water birth is preferred, but Ray wants to have the flexibility to move around in the room and labor in various positions outside of the birthing pool if she so chooses. Broadway and theatrical music should be playing softly in the background during Ray's labor. Hi, I'm Ray, and I like Broadway and theatrical music. (laughs) 
Ray would like alternative pain medicines and induction methods to be used before conventional medications are ever suggested. She would like the option of trying herbs, essential oils, and other natural methods first. Do not tell Ray when to push. If the care provider feels that Ray should push, then calmly present to her the reasons why. Otherwise, Ray will push when she feels her body and baby are ready. Do not break Ray's water. She is comfortable with allowing her water to break on its own and wants to be consulted thoroughly before any such procedure is implemented, which my midwives knew, which is why we had an extended conversation about what to do if my water did not break as it was leaking. No episteotomy should be performed unless absolutely necessary and the physician must have the full informed and, if possible, written consent of the mother before performing because some doctors will perform them without asking you first, which is why it's important to have a doula if you're in the hospital. You don't want them performing things on you that you did not consent to. Ray is aware that complications can arise in which she will not be able to have a medication-free birth or that she may choose to undergo a cesarean section. If her care provider feels that these options may be necessary, Ray wants to be fully informed and the care provider must have full patient consent before before performing any of these actions. After birth, Ray would like for she and her husband to be the first ones to hold their baby even before the OB midwife. If a cesarean is performed, she wants this option to still be available. Delay bathing and clothing the baby until Ray is ready. She would like immediate skin-to-skin before the baby is ever taken away for cleaning and tests. If complications arise, Ray wants to be fully informed as to where her baby is being taken to and what is going to be performed on her baby. Ray wants to nurse immediately after birth regardless if birth occurs vaginally or through cesarean section. Ray wants her baby's cord to only be cut after it has stopped pulsing. She is aware that this will take several minutes. Speaking of my babies. Do you have a baby on you? I do. Hi. What's wrong? Aww. I love you. You should go to bed. You are tired. <laughs> you are very tired. So those are my questions for midwives, and my that's my complete birth plan. We tried to cover everything we could think of when I was first pregnant. Do you have any questions? I never got far enough to have a birth plan. If you so, were to have like, more babies, I would include... The concept is just like, wow, okay then. Yeah. And like I said, it should be... Your midwife should have a copy if you're having a home birth. Your OB should definitely have a copy. And the hospital you're going to should have a copy. And they should have those well in advance of you going into labor. You don't want to go into labor and hand it to them. Although you should have a copy with you. Yeah. And if you're not going to have any more kids, obviously. They kind of kept that from happening. Yeah. But if you were to have more kids, you could include your health concerns and the fact that you're high-risk pregnancy in that. This is... Mainly, we we made it for dual purpose if I had my birth at home and if I ended up in a hospital because we wanted it to still apply even if I was in the hospital. So that makes sense. Yeah. So, Cecily, closing thoughts on all of this. Um, that is about as alien to me as it gets. 
I <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> My mom was another one who birthed very quickly and also tried to tell me that it didn't hurt. And I'm like, I'm pushing a fully formed human out of there? That, that's going to hurt in some way. That's going to hurt. But all of her labors were like, I guess it would be the active labor was like 45 minutes or less um she was in active labor with me and only realized because she realized that the contractions were coming in time with the commercials on the movie she was watching it was like oh that's interesting that's what was funny and about she mine. happened to mention it finally to a nurse who looked and said oh the baby is coming now and ran to get the doctor <laughs> that was that was pretty much how her birth went. My sister was born in the car at 70 miles an hour Oops. on the interstate. Talk about an assisted birth. Everyone asked my dad, well, well, you know, how, how did you help? What did you do? You were driving. And he said, yeah, exactly. I was driving. That's how I helped. That's what I was doing. I was driving. Yep. I did not do anything. I was driving. So what was interesting about my birth is my contractions from the start of my labor to the end of my labor did not change. They were the same spacing apart the entire time. That is weird. Yeah, because I had a contraction I timer. mean, based on, based on my understanding of how that's supposed to go, that was weird. Yeah, that's not necessarily how that is supposed to work. They were, not, they were like five minutes apart the entire time. I think five, ten minutes, something like that. Because they told me to try to sleep if I could before they came over. So I tried to do that, but while you're in labor, sleeping is kind of hard. I, I was not comfortable until I, would I got in so. the birthing pool. And then I was comfortable enough to fall asleep between contractions, basically. But I'd stayed up late the night before, so it was like three years before I got a good night's sleep again. <laughs> now you know why I like my naps so much. Yes, naps are wonderful. I was up super late watching MCIS playing the I Can Watch One More Episode game. Haha. <laughs> naps so, are especially yeah. nice when you get the preschooler to tuck you in. Oh, Xandria does that sometimes. I think she was in the room at some point because I woke up from my nap today and the door was closed and I don't close the door. <laughs> I am running out of water. So my thoughts are be as researched as possible before you get pregnant. Interview your doctor and or midwives before you get pregnant and try to find out as much as you can. Read birth stories. There became a point in my pregnancy where I just couldn't read them anymore. But... <laughs> Read birth stories, know what normal looks like. I would say attend child care classes, but the only one we attended was three hours long and the fir and first hour and a half was, this is what a baby can look like when it's born and it's normal, followed by hospital <laughs> procedures, which didn't apply to us at all. And also, dads, here's how you change a diaper, because I know all the moms know how to do it. Well, if you were an only child or a youngest child, and it's your first pregnancy, no, you wouldn't know how to do it. Well, and that didn't apply to us either, because we used cloth diapers, not regular diapers, so. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's what I knew how to do, and yeah, how we, to fold. Yeah, we did folding for a while. We waited, our midwives recommended that we let the, um, Miss 
which is the black tarry poo that happens for the first few days. We waited till that cleared up before we went to cloth diapers because that stuff doesn't wash off of anything. Really? Uh, I mean, I've heard it said. described as tarry, but... That's what they said, wow. so that's what we did. And we ended up um, using disposable diapers on her overnight the entire time because we could never find a cloth diaper solution that she wouldn't soak through, and I got tired of being peed on in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did diapers until I realized that as the diapering older sister, I was never the one doing the laundry. And it's a lot of laundry. We we went to disposables around the same so, time yeah. she was re- after she was um weaned because they get human poop after that point. <laughs> it's yes. kind of gross. Yes. So we went to Also she became a diaper ditcher, which was a problem. <laughs> yeah. Is what it is. But we ended up ditching them. I would go back to yes, the last diaper. Yes, babies though. are nudists. Yeah. Every baby is a nudist at some point. Yep. So, with that, you can find us online on YouTube and Odyssey, as well as Parlor and MeWe at 80S Mom Podcast. Our website is 80SMomPodcast.com. And you can reach us through email at show at 80SPodcast.com. And I am Ray. I am Cecily. And we hope you have an amazing week. Here I am, rock you like a hurricane. Or something.